Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of TopCon Talks Agriculture. I'm your host today, Jared Oaks. And today on the podcast, we're honored to have Dr. Bruce Erickson. Dr. Erickson is the Agronomy Education Distance and Outreach Director at Purdue University. Dr. Erickson has deep roots in agriculture, raised in Iowa uh, on the farm, worked as a practicing agronomist uh, with, with DuPont Pioneer. Uh, Dr. Erickson developed the eLearning Academy for Purdue University and has served thousands of students across 38 countries. Dr. Erickson has a master's degree in crop production and physiology and a PhD in agronomy. Let's talk about a couple barriers that, that might be on some of the growers' minds. You know, you you uh, go around and do a lot of workshops, obviously, you know, like we discussed before, and I've, I've seen some of your presentations and, and read some of the, the articles, you know, you've written in, in crop life and other things. And, um, I, I mean, I, I'm going to kind of quote you, but I really was interested in some of these quotations and I wanted to kind of uh, give you an opportunity to maybe expand on some of the quotes you, you, uh, you were quoted as saying that the three biggest barriers for success or quote difficult to find employees. Now this is obviously at the ag retailer difficult to find employees that can deliver the precision ag services was um, these are all around 49, 50%, but that, that was one. The second one was the equipment needed. And I'm thinking specialty equipment, hardware, et cetera, to provide those services changing so fast and there, and therefore, you know, just got to spend more money to sort of keep up with the Joneses. And then the third barrier was fees being charged for some of these services. Maybe they aren't high enough or, or maybe they can't charge for them and therefore they, they're, they're not profitable. Those three barriers I thought were, were really well um, thought out. And I think uh, you know, I know those are barriers to the ag retailer and maybe the, the dealer distributor, but I, I really do think that some of our farm uh, operations are finding those same barriers. You know, employees, people who know how to run uh, the technology or can learn or want to learn. I'm not sure what you word to use there. And then uh, the equipment changing so fast. You know, do you think some of our farmer customers are worried about getting involved uh, in, in the technology because then they think, you know, maybe, oh, that thing's going to break in a year and I'll have to buy another one. And, and it's, you know, it's $10,000. Or I was just curious what some of the deeper thoughts were maybe behind some of those barriers that I've quoted to you now, Bruce. Yeah, well, and this is the why part of the survey. I mean, up to now, we've sort of been talking some of the whys, but more like, what are you offering and what are farmers doing? But uh, this is really a, one of the more interesting parts. And we've been asking um, this set, and I think there's 18 of these that we asked the retailers to identify. And some of them are customer-related type things, um, and, and others are more related to their business. And I, I guess the whole predicate to a lot of this is that um, what's keeping you from – 
offering, doing more with precision agriculture? Is it the money? Is it the people? Is it the equipment? Is it uh, the land in your area? There, there's a whole bunch of things that it could be. And so um, when when I was analyzing um, this information, and I, I should use the word I loosely because I have a statistician that helps me with this, um, and, and uh, she does most of the work with this, but um, – if you go back a decade, there were those three that you mentioned, Jared, that popped out, and they were always the three that were on top. And, um, you know, when you do a survey, gosh, if you'd look at the individual survey forms that come back or what people put online, you know, it's all over the board. Uh, and there's a lot of variation, just like in agriculture, there's a lot of variation in the field. Well, responses are quite variable too. But so this I thought was really telling that these three were there. There was one exception to this. I, the, and we don't need to get into that, but these three were, were um, you know, the highest. And the, the people thing, you know, I'm in the education business and, and um, the, the people thing, if you, if you take a look at that, a lot of the stuff, like you say, is complicated stuff. And, um, you know, I, I've talked to farmers and, and they struggle with that. Uh, they've been struggling with that uh, for many, many years and retailers struggle with that too. And of course, with the pandemic, we're all struggling, you know, go to your local restaurant, you know, mm-hmm. they're yeah. terribly struggling with this, um, uh, the people thing. And uh, you just can't show up, you know, and and uh, drive the tractor or drive the sprayer across the field. That you have to have a level of knowledge beyond that. And so I don't know what more to say about that, but it's a frustrating situation right now. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't, I don't want to get too, you know, too deep into the people thing. Um, other than, I, I guess I would say this: I, I think it's our responsibility, my, my responsibility. I, I'm speaking for Topcon, of course. Um, it's our responsibility to continue to to improve on making our technology so easy to use. You take it out of the box, and away you go. I, I you know, recently in some of uh, some product management discussions, some discussions I've had with some customers, et cetera. Um, you know, my my wife bought one of these uh, robotic vacuums. A, f- a few weeks ago, I think I uh-huh. may have been. I may have actually been at at some conference or something. Did the but, robot but, replace your vacuuming services? Or? Man, I tell you what, it it, <laughs> it did. And and this oh, thing is it's amazing. Um, and my she's so funny about it. You know, we'll be in the car, you know, driving, and she'll say. I need to vacuum and pull her phone out and start to vacuum. <laughs> and, and, you know, that, uh, I mean, I, I guess that's a bit of a, per, a personal uh, point I, I'm making, but I'm, I'm using it as an example to explain. I mean, that's how simple and dare I say kind of fun that, cause that's kind of fun. You know, it's kind of funny. It's, it's obviously an, ex, uh, a fairly costly item. Um, it isn't cheap to, to get one of those, but man, the amount of time that it has given us back and, and, uh, you know, the dog isn't as stressed out anymore with, with the other vacuum we, we had, I mean, right. that, those little things, I mean, maybe some listeners might think, you know, what, what is he talking about? He's talking about a vacuum. No, I'm talking about products and technology items that are designed and, and engineered for, for you, the customer, you open it up. It's simple. It's easy. Oh, I do this. I touch here. I touch there. And away we go. Um, I mean, we really, really strive and push 
and challenge ourselves to to produce product like that. Um, otherwise, we, you know, we really can't break through some some of these barriers. I think you've identified also, you know, one of the main reasons why we have lagged in terms of. Uh, site-specific management as compared to some of the more automated stuff is because um, the we need more automation uh, on both ends on the on the collection side and on the uh, input side variable rate or whatever variable timing to make sure that that's right and the classic example I always use when I'm at a meeting I always have of course my smartphone with me I hold up my iPhone and like What's inside this little box here is extremely complicated, but I don't have to know all of the complication that's inside there to make that work. And we need way much more of that. Yeah. The other thing that we need uh, very much, and, and we're working on that at Purdue, and I know other land grants and other universities are also working on this too. So I'm not saying we're special here, but uh, we we realize that um, – there's a lot of complication in agricultural fields in that with soils and the amount of rainfall and the genetics, the fertilizers that are put on, the pesticides, you can go on and on and on. And what I say, the production function here, with the outcome that you end up with in the field is a fairly complicated uh, equation. You know, when you drive by, uh, driving down the interstate and you look at that cornfield off to your left and right, eh, it's a cornfield, you know, but uh there, there's a lot going on in that in terms of managing that. And um, we, I, I think when we first started this, what I call the current era of precision farming 20 years ago, we certainly underestimated the complication in fields. And we thought, well, we're just going to put a little more fertilizer here, a little bit less, and wow, right. the crop's going to respond. Uh, but we quickly found out uh, that, boy, there's a lot more to it than just doing that. And so we're, we're, we're trying to work on, you know, we have crop modelers we've hired uh, at the university here. We have people that are, you know, experts in spatial analysis and data science. And uh, I even teach a class uh, or supervise a class uh, where we use our software and others like oh, yeah. Python and all that type of stuff are becoming more commonplace. for our- for our listeners, you're talking about languages that are designed for massive data sets to get right. in there and figure out, you know, what's big data. I suppose our, our listeners might know it as. Go, sorry to interrupt you, Bruce. Go ahead. No, I you didn't interrupt. Um, and, and one of the things, um, you know, for this data-driven future that we're talking about here is that, um, you know, when you first started this, this conversation, it was more about um, – you know, simplifying things. And and so software that we're talking about here can take humongous data sets. And, and uh, you know, if I have an Excel spreadsheet of 10 columns and 20 rows or whatever, I can work with that. I can see the whole thing on one screen, you know, sure. but, yeah. but let's go just to like a yield map for a field. Uh, the data file on that you know, is what, what, I can't remember how many columns it is for some of the common formats, but it's maybe 15 or 20 columns, yep. but it's like 20,000 for a, a 20 acre field. It's like maybe 20,000 uh, rows right. on that thing. And so yep. the typical human can't work with that. We need special software to do that. And uh, that again is one of the tools that, 
you know, where you first started this conversation that can help us simplify some of this really complicated stuff. Yeah. And I'd like to, I'd like to help all of our customers um, reach a few milestones, you know, where they, in some cases, some of the growers that I, that I'm working with and also on the agriculture or on the uh, animal feeding feedlot dairy side, you know, we're also helping uh, those customers realize some of the value from their feeding data that they, that they have and, and other systems. But you know, that, that first time that a grower um, sees some of the maps, maybe it's a yield map, maybe it's a planting map, a singulation map, a, a satellite imagery map, um, you know, different visualizations about the fields that they right. intimately know. It's so interesting to me, um, <clears throat> whether it's my father or, you know, uh, uncles, grandfathers, uh, other other f- folks, uh, whatever, Um <laughs> You almost always come across a scenario where they say he he or she they say hey I I know what's going on there and and I'm kind of curious like yeah cuz I don't I, it's not clear to me and then they'll say yeah you know 90 years ago there was a barn there and you know and and then and they I mean they possess uh, the knowledge that can connect it's like a, a, a symbiotic relationship between kind of uh, grower and, and machine. And when that is connected, you know, the, the insights and the decisions and the power that can be gained really can benefit the farm and, and make things more profitable. Um, otherwise, it's sort of just sort of farming by memory almost just sort of instinct and gut instinct and seat of the pants which has served many 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 growers i'm sure my you know some of some of the folks that i've worked with have forgotten more about agriculture than i may ever know uh there it's you know every single field every every plant everything I'm 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 going to get a little sentimental on you here, Jared, too, because um, you know my own father, just the generation prior to me, farmed with horses. Yeah, you know, until the nineteen I don't know late thirties or forties. You know, when he <laughs> first started farming, he farmed with horses yeah. and probably two row equipment. You know, and when yeah. I was a kid, we had a four row planter, and then by gosh, we moved to a six row. Um, you know, just in my lifetime, right. And right. so, um, what what uh, is exciting is to think about our kids and the, our grandkids, and how this is all going to be in the future. Yeah, I I, com- I completely uh, agree. I um, I did you know for our for our cloud the the one of the products that I happen to be the the product manager for the the TopCon agriculture platform. We recorded some. Um, sort of promotional videos for what the platform does. And I, I wanted uh, the video not really to get into features, Bruce, but more, why are we building this? Who are we building it for? And, and what does it solve? And there's some, some videos out there about TAP. I think you can go to YouTube and, and search TopCon TAP or something. You'll, you'll find them. And granted, it's embarrassing that I, that I may be in them. But in the video at the end, that's exactly the goal. My, my, that's kind of my closing uh, point is exactly what you just said is that these technologies are actually bringing sons and daughters 
back to the farms, right? Empowering a kind of a new generation that quite honestly can kick technologies, but, you know, just hand some of these uh, young men and women, these, these data files or pieces of technology. It's absolutely amazing what uh, they're able to do and how fast they're able to do it. And it's really some exciting time. Now I know, I know we're, we're, you know, we're at about 45 minutes here and and they may edit a little here, a little there, but you know, one thing I really want to talk with you about, you've made some comments on it in the past and I want to have time to wrap up is what's going on with, with UAVs for product application. Bruce, I, you know, I've been to Japan to work with some of our, uh, some of our engineers and also some of our customers. And, you know, in Japan, UAVs for product application, it's not an emerging technology. It is the technology, right? But but here it's a totally different conversation. What, uh, you know, I don't want to spend a ton of minutes on it, but for our listeners who say live in, uh, I don't know, Topeka, Kansas, or or whatever, they're probably hearing us say drones for fertilizer and pesticide application. That's crazy. But in other parts of the world, it's common technology. Where where do you think that whole thing's headed, Bruce? Yeah, I've seen those YouTube videos of those um, little spray drones uh, in Japan, and they're they're cool looking. And um, you know, we talked a little bit ago about uh, how the UAV technology has really advanced here, the just the last couple of years. And um, I, I would have, you know, a decade ago, if you would have asked me if UAVs would ever be feasible for putting on crop inputs, I would have said, uh, "No, nah, I really doubt that's uh, you know going to happen anytime soon." But I'll tell you, I've been wrong a lot before, and I think I'm wrong on that. Um, in, in that. Uh, there's, you know, the battery life, uh, the uh, which enables them to fly more, and their ability to to uh, carry a payload has increased. And uh, what what I guess it's still probably going to be a while before we do whole fields with, you know, something that's put on at twenty gallons per acre or something like that. Sure, you know, which sure, is a sure. kind of a standard thing. But uh, there are there's a ton of special needs spot spraying, uh, and we know that some pesticides are put on at very low rates too. Mm-hmm. But but uh, you know, individual weed spot spraying, spraying in areas where it's really difficult to get in there with a ground rig. And if in all over the Midwest, we all know that uh, there's been lots of spray planes uh, the last uh, month. You know, you, you hear them in the evening. You can see them as you're driving, et cetera. There's a lot of aerial application going on, and there's a big place for that too. Yeah. So, again, I, I think uh, I just think we're going to see be seeing more and more of this in the future. I mean, I even think I even think that we we might even get some kind of a convergence where we're going to get uh, something that's like a small spray plane or whatever that might have a gas engine on it that is unmanned, something like that, or, or maybe maybe even something that. Uh, works with the standard, you know, applicator equipment that that's out there and provides, you know, maybe some kind of assistance on the job where it sprays. Because um, you know, as a commercial applicator, there, you know, there's some really challenging um, scenarios for for the other one A's out there, um, Bruce. Where you know whether it's 
really narrow areas or, you know, narrow areas where you can't keep the pressures, you can't keep the things safe and smaller, more targeted application mechanisms like these UAVs might be a better technology to, again, assist, not replace, but assist that larger machine that's got 120 foot booms and is out there doing, uh, like you said, 20, 20 gallon the acre because many of these mixes like a 10 or 12 gallon to the acre carrier, right? They, they like my, my, my father refers to that as watering your crop, but of course yeah, he, <laughs> he, he only says that cause we, you know, we have, we use a spray coop, so it's got a, a nice small tank, on right. It, but, uh, right. Yeah. No, it's, it's going to be really, really exciting. I wonder how many of our listeners are thinking they're talking about the Terminator drones, you know, the drone in uh, Terminator where like finds the, uh, the bad guy identifies it, and of course they're using bullets. But we're talking about using herbicide on a nozzle. But in a way, that's that's kind of similar, Bruce. The kind of the sci-fi to make the the podcast have a bit of a sci-fi turn. But to be able to see and identify and target, and then ultimately say, "Oh, that's this," and I should use this product at this, you know, in in a you know in a millisecond. To make that decision, that's we're closer to that than I think a lot of folks recognize. What you what what you comment on too is something that I always have to caution myself on too is that the new stuff is always really exciting. There's always this shiny thing over the horizon, I sure. guess I call it, and uh, you know we always have to make sure that uh, you know it's going to pay the bills and all that kind of stuff. But I'm as guilty as anyone of getting excited about this stuff. But related to the application and using a UAV, um, our for the first time we asked this question on our crop life survey. And uh, currently it said, and I was surprised how high this number was, but currently 14% of the retailers said that they were offering uh, crop inputs on UAVs. But in three years, uh, they, they said in three years, 29% of them would be offering. So like uh, uh, a little over a doubling of that. So they're, so retailers in general are really up on this type of thing. Yeah. And that's that's so interesting to me because I, I would have thought they may have been the biggest uh, laggards saying you're never right. going to replace these nurse trucks and these big machines and these big fertilizer plants and things. But I, I don't know. Well, maybe we'll have to save that for the second round of podcasts with, uh, with, with Bruce, I, I tell you what, to, oh, to, wow. to, to wrap, that's, to wrap that's, up. That's good to hear. I might get a second chance. <laughs> oh, here, man, you come back anytime. I, okay. I've, I've really, really enjoyed our chat. I, uh, I want to thank our listeners so much, uh, for, for tuning in and maybe sliding around back and forth and hunting and, and finding, uh, some of the discussion today that, that you're really interested in. But, Dr. Erickson, the way I like to close our podcast is really to give you the opportunity to speak to the listener directly. Maybe if you've got a thought on your heart or mind or, or want to uh, you know, promote a specific thing or give a message to the farmers and rancher community or ag retail that, that's out there, by all means, please uh, you know, give, give a few uh, words of wisdom, if you will. Yeah, and I, I really don't have much to wrap up, but I'll just make a couple of comments. Um, I mean, a, a couple of summary things. We're seeing data that's used to drive decisions. I mean, we've had data for a long time, but using that data to drive decisions is certainly on the upswing uh, dramatically here in recent years. 
you know, like we talked, uh, the any time that we can automate stuff and take the complication out of it, because life is complicated, you know, in its own way, but we need need to keep doing that. That's, um, you know, I guess another major summary thing that we talked about here. And then uh, probably, you know, as, as we're moving forward, all the uh, automation or robotics are certainly going to keep, uh, you know, advancing and have a bigger place on the farms, whether that's an automatic, automatic grain cart or some kind of a robotic weeder or, you know, a robotic vacuum in your house, Jared, or all that yeah. kind of stuff, you know, <laughs> yeah. that uh, I probably should look at, uh, you know, to make sure that my floors are cleaner. Uh, but the final thing I guess I'll say is that um, if, if you look at technology adoption, and I've done a little bit of studying of this, and I don't claim to be an expert by any means, but, uh, you know, it's interesting if you take a look at um, those cell phone adoption or computer adoption or in agriculture when people were, you know, adopting pesticides. And the classic one that a lot of people refer to is that uh, hybrid corn adoption. And um, back in uh, what hybrid corn or hybrids in, in maize or corn were invented, I think uh, in the early 1900s, like 19, oh, I, I don't quote me on the year here, but uh, in that time Long period, time ago. Yeah. but the typical uh, you know, Midwestern farmer, I'll just say that, and I know I'm sure we have listeners from all over the country, but the typical Midwestern farmer didn't start using hybrids until like uh, 30 years later, um, you know, like in the 1930s uh, and 40s even for some states, depending on where you were. And so the the whole thing with that is it takes a person in order to change the playing field. You know, the technologies yeah. are, are not going to do it. And with precision farming, that's even more acute because you have even greater complication. I mean, the farmers in the 1930s and 40s, uh, say in Iowa and Kentucky and wherever, uh, all they had to do to start using um, that hybrid was to, uh, you know, stop pouring the open pollinated in their planter and pour in the hybrid seed and really nothing else changed of their farming operation. Right. But with precision farming, you in many cases have to change several different aspects uh, of your farming operation in order to make that work. You got to look at it in a whole different way. And so that's part of the adoption equation, too, is that um, that whole thing is uh, a lot more complicated. But um, we're we're. Um, I mean, the future is bright and and uh, we all want to. Uh, you know, grow more and do it more efficiently. And we want to make sure that we're not hurting the water or, you know, otherwise hurting the environment. And, right. and I think all these tools are going to help us keep doing that into the future. Well, I, I really, really appreciate uh, your, your time today, Bruce. I, you know, I, I had so many things from, from carbon to, to other things. I, I thought I, I had to pick, you know, we, we, we like to keep these podcasts under an hour, but Let's uh, let's definitely stay in touch and and see uh, maybe round two is in order. And to all of our listeners, thanks so much for tuning in to another uh, Topcom Talks Agriculture podcast. I'm Jared, and thanks again to Bruce. Hope everyone stays safe and has a great day. Thanks very much, Jared. <laughs>